Welcome to the Living With Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Simone Denny, and I'm here to share with you how to live your purpose, how to be more intentional in life, and how to get the results you desire while enjoying the journey along the way. I coach people around the world on how to find and express their unique blueprint in the world. Join me and my special guests for inspiring stories, practical wisdom, and life reminders for a more fulfilling and joyful life. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm super excited about the topic that I'm going to be sharing with you because motivation is a really big part of the work I do and I'm just going to share a little example of needing to be motivated. (laughs) I just recorded this whole podcast, 40 minutes, feeling super pumped and inspired, and then uh, did the playback. I had to use some new headphones, and there is no sound on my podcast. So I was thinking, at least I am so motivated by this topic that I'm just going to open up my recording again and start again and share all over again with you because one I'm really clear on what my why is and two as I said this is a topic close to my heart being a coach and working with people motivation comes up a lot working with procrastination or losing motivation or feeling like there isn't a lot of mojo there is something that is really common in the work I do so I work with a membership of women who are on the path to betterment. I work with, at the moment, I've got a business mentorship where, you know, we're often having to talk about how we are motivated to show up in our business and do hard things. And then I'm currently working in the middle of my Living With Purpose program. So helping people to find their purpose and to take the action they need to step into that purpose, all of which really requires us to be in a place of motivation. So let's dive in. This is me jumping in for the second time today. And if any of you are mums of kids in a school day and trying to fit your business into a school day, you will appreciate how it feels to lose (laughs) 40 minutes of time in a special precious day. So I'm going to really make this one worth it for you. So as I said, I want to share with you today about some simple hacks on how to up your motivation, how to boost your motivation, how to tap into a healthy dopamine release, and also how to create lasting behavior change, because a lot of us start with something that it doesn't always last. So As I said, being a coach, motivation is a really, really important topic. It's imperative to understand how to motivate change, how to overcome obstacles, and how we show up with consistency. So we all have varying degrees of motivation, and we can have motivation in one area of our life and be super excited and pumped by that. But then we can have other areas of life where it feels really hard, it feels uninspiring and like it's really hard to to gee ourselves up to do these things so for me I'm extremely motivated when it comes to work (laughs) as you can see here re-recording this podcast and in fact I actually have to rein myself in with my work and my purpose because I feel so driven and I love it so much that I feel sometimes a little too motivated I also you know feel the same I feel very motivated around health and well-being and and areas that are associated with that that's not a 
a hard thing for me to do, but some areas I feel really unmotivated looking at spreadsheets with lots of numbers and doing my taxes and GST and clearing out my drawers. That feels quite unmotivating to me. And you'll probably have areas in your life too, where where you'll notice, oh, yeah, I'm really driven here, but not there. So one thing to consider is that motivation, like what is motivation? So one thing to consider is, is your motivation moving you in the right direction? Is the things that you are motivated in, the things that count, the things that are important to that long-term vision or where you want to go? And sometimes we find ourselves that we've fallen off the bandwagon in certain rituals or habits or positive behaviors that are moving us towards that long-term feeling or vision of how we want life to be. Maybe we've stopped eating in a healthy way or we've stopped taking that daily walk or movement. Our meditation practice has dropped off. And instead, sometimes we find ourselves moving towards something that maybe isn't as serving to our long-term vision and the long-term behavior change that we want. Maybe you know, we're, we're having a few glasses of wine a night or we're scrolling that social media a little more often than we want. And we're finding that actually, the, although those behaviors feel really good in the moment, they're not actually moving us forward. So our motivation has a really strong correlation with dopamine. Dopamine is often referred to as the feel-good neurotransmitter because it plays this very crucial role in the brain's reward system. And it's associated with pleasure, as I said, with motivation and with reinforcement. So dopamine is a big driver for our behavior. And many of us get hooked on things that are designed to release dopamine. For example, social media apps are often designed by psychologists that have really mastered what they call the hook model, which plays on how do you create apps in a way that elicit dopamine, that make us want more of it. And that's things like variable rewards. It's like tapping into the psychology of what our emotional desires are, creating those notifications that build our curiosity, those likes and hearts, all those things are not made by mistake. They're completely designed to motivate us through the release of dopamine. So it is, dopamine is involved in this motivational reinforcement mechanism, and it helps that to drive us to behaviors and create that sense of anticipation and that desire for rewards. Often I give the example of what, how I visualize dopamine is when I feed my cat and the purring and the, you know, the, the excitement, the anticipation for the cat food to be put in the bowl is like the dopamine release. It's like, it's so exciting to think about the reward. And then once they've eaten the food, stop purring and stop that because they've got that um, desired response. And we're kind of the same. We get that anticipation, that feeling of what's coming, and then we get the reward. And then that creates a feedback loop that makes us want to do it again. So when dopamine is released in response to say achieving a goal or an action, whether that is, you know, a, a good behavior, like maybe exercising or 
a not so good one, eating a block of chocolate, it still reinforces the behavior that led us to that reward, which increases the likelihood of us repeating the action again in the future. So it is kind of like a habit loop where we take the action, get rewarded. Oh, that felt really nice. Well, that tasted really good. Or I tick that thing off my list and then that felt good. And then we do it again. So through becoming more self-aware of our behaviors and what's driving us and how our reward system works, we can start to be aware of how our dopamine release works and whether we are driven by what we call you know, healthy dopamine by doing things that are actually good for us in the long term, or whether those dopamine releases are actually moving us towards these more shorter term pleasures that maybe don't sustain us in the long term. That can really help us just gain perspective of our behaviors before we kind of start trying to change them. And I really want to share a story about switching our focus and dopamine in terms of something that my husband, James, went through over the last couple of years. So a few years ago, we were in the midst of lockdown and James found himself in this dopamine loop after surviving a day in lockdown, maybe helping with homeschooling and all the challenges of the day that I'm sure some of you might remember, he really looked forward to that end of day beer, maybe more than he had at other times, maybe a couple of beers at the end of the day. And it was this dopamine hit that he was feeling driven towards that anticipation. So when he cracked open that beer and he had a few sips, he was rewarded with this feeling of relaxation, this completion of the day, and then feeling that little boost or hit that you get from alcohol and dopamine was released. It felt very motivating to do this behavior. And he was actually, without knowing it, creating this feedback loop that felt so good. And that, that feeling, that dopamine was saying, I'll see you back here same time tomorrow. And this is how we start finding ourselves in these certain behavior patterns. So Remember, it's the reward which causes us to repeat these behaviors. So the thing is, over a number of months, this really wasn't making James feel particularly happy. Alcohol actually over time is, you know, an antidepressant, sorry, a depressant, not an antidepressant. And James put on a few kilos. He was starting to feel the effects of lockdown. I mean, he was happy for me to share you. He was starting to feel a bit flat from this whole experience. And then something really incredible happened for James. He made this decision to get back on his bike. He dusted his bike off in the garage. He started riding again. And in those early days when he just started, it was really, really probably unmotivating for him. He was feeling unfit, maybe a bit heavier. You know, he was struggling up, up the hills of Waiheke, but he did get home and he would feel good. Like he had achieved something, like he started to feel like there was a reward, which was the dopamine release from actually achieving something, achieving something hard, completing something. And you know, also exercise gives us a dopamine release as well as all those good endorphins. So James started feeling different and he became incredibly motivated to ride his bike. And he, he literally wouldn't miss a day. 
And at the end of the day, he also didn't feel so motivated to have a beer. Kind of this fell away and his attention moved more into measuring his progress. His Strava became his best friend and he started tracking and how is he doing compared to others. And there was kind of a competitive element with himself in there and he could get rewarded each day with little updates of improving his last time. And this was him ticking off like little micro goals that he was working on in his own fitness. And this is a, a beautiful example of, of how dopamine works it's it's finding those rewards it's moving towards our goals it's ticking things off it's tracking things and this is a healthy way of switching dopamine so just to fast forward from that story a few years ahead to where we are right now James has hardly missed a day of cycling since he he began that journey and he lost 20 kilos which is a lot I mean he's tall he actually looks like one of those guys I've toured to France at the moment. There's <laughs> not much on him. And he, he's currently at the age of 47 at the time of recording this. And his fitness level currently measures that of a 20-year-old male, which is quite a phenomenal shift from where he was in his old dopamine loop to where he is now. And I just want to share that story because we can, we all have the possibility and opportunity to switch where we get our dopamine from and where we can move from one motivation to another. I mean, to be honest, James should probably be taking this podcast because he's more of a living motivation, you know, more of a living example of motivation than me, but you know, I can share you with you the science and and how it works part of it. But I feel I feel motivated by his story as well. So the lesson that we can take from this, as I said, is that we all have these dopamine-inducing habits, you know, and we some of them are, are really healthy and move us forward. And some of them, you know, they're not really moving us forward. I have things like my social media scroll at the end of the day or, you know, dark chocolate after lunch. They're, they're little habit loops that have come in that, you know, aren't really moving me forward. So we get into the reward cycle and we need to find ways to break up or create new and improved ways to release dopamine. And that will in turn increase our motivation. So I know what you're about to ask me. <laughs> you're thinking, well, how do I find the motivation to do that new desired behavior, Simone? And this is a great question. And it really lies in overcoming our primitive programming and understanding our inherent drivers for motivation. So you may have heard of the motivational triad. It's something that I have shared in my workshops and, you know, it's a, it's a common area that we talk about in psychology. It actually relates to evolutionary psychology and it helps us to understand the primitive drivers of human behavior and what motivates us based on our older survival parts of the brain. So the motivational triad actually has three cornerstones. One is to seek pleasure two is to avoid pain, and three is to conserve energy. And these are our prehistoric tendencies that we learned to survive. And they were very essential and important for us to, for us to exist today, actually. But 
they don't always serve us. This old survival way of motivating ourselves through life doesn't serve us in this twenty in this twenty first century that we are in now. So, in fact, this this motivational triad is quite outdated if you're trying to step into growth and expansion. So the motivational triad or motivational model is linked with the brain's mechanism for ensuring survival and reproduction of the species. So as such, the limbic system, which is that that older midbrain and some of the key components like the amygdala, which is that emotional decoding part of the brain that's associated with looking for threats. Am I in danger? Is something going to hurt me? Or some of the reward processing parts of the brain. They're often considered core of these kind of primitive motivational processes, and they definitely serve their purpose, but we just don't want them to run the show because they're kind of always going to be running from, from hard things. So thankfully, our brains have developed over time, and we have this beautiful prefrontal cortex, which I'm sure many of you have heard of, this more evolved part of our brain, this sophisticated, what I call CEO part of the brain, which can override some of our defaults survival instincts and it means that we have higher order functioning we're better at problem solving we have a greater perspective when we can operate from our prefrontal cortex which means we're moving out of this fear center this reaction or this purely pleasure part of our brain and we get to to step into higher intelligence So I want to dig more deeply into these three cornerstones and look at maybe how we can work with them and how we can sometimes override them. Obviously, there are times in our life where we we need to honor these, but there is a lot of times where we have to really step into our new programming and and overcome them. So that first one, seeking pleasure or seeking rewards. Obviously, we've got a big part of that still in us. And there's, yeah, no reason that we shouldn't gravitate towards pleasure. But this is the motivation for us to seek out things that provide us pleasure and satisfaction and joy. And from an evolutionary context, this is behaviors such as finding food, sex, engaging activities that you know, generally just feel good for us in that moment. And if we look at a shark, we can see that they very much just live in this survival way, which is to just seek pleasure. They procreate, they are avoiding any pain and often just conserving energy and laying low. (laughs) So that's kind of an example of how it works in the underwater world. So When we're looking at this seeking pleasure, it's, as I said, often about short-term satisfaction and a reward. For example, when you eat that unhealthy food, it's how good that feels in the moment, or you're binge watching a whole Netflix series on the couch. This is short-term pleasure. Our our basic desire (laughs) and motivation is to to sit in pleasure. And if we are always seeking short-term pleasure, things can get a bit out of balance. And those long-term goals and desires can often get put on the back burner or they can get a bit derailed because we are so busy just enjoying the pleasures of the current moment of what feels good that we're not looking at that long-term sustainable, those goals and dreams that we might have. So we need to engage our prefrontal cortex to be a little bit more strategic and create this more sustainable type of pleasure. And really what that is, is the the need and desire to find happiness, 
versus short-term pleasure. And that happiness is more an intrinsic long-term feeling rather than an immediate hit of pleasure. So those things like booze or sex or scrolling, they're very good in the moment, but we won't actually want to create something that is a feeling or a way of being that actually creates long-term happiness and doesn't have any negative impact. So it's all about the long game rather than just the short game. Another way that we can work with this pleasure-seeking part is to get clear on the cost of this guilty pleasure, of the things that maybe aren't serving you. And a lot of the time we just do them and we don't really think about the long-term because we're just in the moment with them. But if you stop and ask yourself, what is the cost of me spending this much time, for example, scrolling my phone a day, maybe there's you know, a number of hours that you're on there and then you add it up over a year, it's many days or months of your life on that phone. And the cost, when we get intimate with it, of things like, well, then I'm not actually connected to my partner or I'm not being with my kids. I'm always distracted and I don't feel, I feel like life is passing me by and I feel regret. And these are the real costs of the pleasure that you're taking. And the same is true, you know, for Maybe if you, you've stopped exercising, what's the real cost of that as you're aging and, and, and how does that make you feel? So, and how does that impact the way you behave? So get really clear on the cost of your behavior that you're wanting to stop. And that can be very, very motivating for you to take action when you're very clear on the cost of the behavior. So another way that we can work with this pleasure part, the desire to feel pleasure is to use rewards. And, you know, when we use rewards, we also get to release dopamine, which is very, very motivating for our system. So reward those good behaviors. When you do take actions and do hard things, or you do something that you committed to, like you did exercise or move each day, maybe track it on a habit tracker or at the end of the day, if you've done those things that you want to do, reward yourself in some way that feels good for you. And maybe it's over a month of good behaviors, you do something nice or just simply the act of ticking things off a list or celebrating your wins can actually release both dopamine and serotonin. So make sure you're tracking your wins and rewarding yourself for them. So we can also, like I talked about with James, is find healthy ways to release dopamine and get out of the current dopamine cycle you're in and find these really good ways of feel doing other things that feel good for you. Cold swims, laughing with friends, ticking things off your list, exercise, they all are ways of releasing dopamine and increasing motivation and they're sustainable ways of feeling pleasure. Another way of working with pleasure is to set goals and visions that motivate you to take action towards them. Again, that releases dopamine and it gives you that bigger picture of what you're working towards rather than just being in the moment of taking an action. When we've got a bigger purpose and we have those goals that sit under it, we are much more likely to create the sustainable types of behavior that move us forward. So that second cornerstone of the motivational triad is that we avoid pain. We want to avoid anything that is threatening. This is very much a survival response that has you know, been around to keep us alive. And this is, as I said, this amygdala part of the brain is always looking for threats. And we are looking for how can we 
escape anything that is difficult, protect ourselves against potential harm, danger, or negative experiences. So avoiding pain is crucial for our livelihood if we go back into prehistoric times and it's this whole response to making sure that we're avoiding threats in our environment. So nowadays we we still have this part of us. We are motivated to avoid pain and discomfort, but it might not be something that could harm or kill us. It's just avoiding feeling uncomfortable, avoiding feeling discomfort in terms of judgment or failing or feeling rejected. So this is all things that we need to overcome if we are to actually grow and expand. So if you want to go beyond survival, then we have to be able to lean into the pain. We can't avoid it. And whether you're growing a business and you need to be showing up or doing hard things, whether you're expanding in personal development, there's always going to be a level of discomfort in there. Or even if you're stepping into being a leader, you must be willing to have some discomfort, to have maybe hard conversations or to be more visible. There's so many elements of discomfort required for growth. So we need to train our brain that not all threats are life and death. And again, that we have this beautiful prefrontal cortex that helps us to have perspective, to be more rational. We have this inner self-compassion that can encourage ourselves to do hard things and to take considered risk. So we have to overcome the primitive limbic response, which is to avoid all pain and instead just doing things that are a little bit uncomfortable. So one of the ways that we can lean into this part and overcome this uh, motivation to avoid pain is to know your bigger why. When you know your bigger why, then it makes it worth a little bit of pain and discomfort. So I know I talk a lot about helping people find their big why, what is your purpose? You know, this is very motivating when we have a big why. It, it really helps us to move forward and it, it, it encourages us to do hard things when we know that what we're doing is for a bigger reason or a bigger cause or is having an impact. But I'm also interested in these little micro whys, these small actions that we take, actually getting really clear on why we want to do it. So if you have an action that you want to take and you want to feel motivated about it, you need to have a compelling reason for doing it. And I'll give you an example of that. So for most of my life, I have identified as being a cold person, always feeling the cold, sleeping under two duvets, only swimming when it's the middle of summer. And I always used to observe people who swam all year round and who jumped into freezing lakes. And I would think, why would anyone ever do that? I just don't understand why people would be choosing that kind of discomfort by choice that looks so painful. And then fast forward to today, and I actually am a regular winter swimmer. I mean, like maybe a couple of times a week or, you know, random times, not a daily. And I mean, and when I say swimmer, I'm like in and out, but I also have started, you know, ending my shower with two minutes of cold water. And I guess there was a point where I question, how has this changed? And really what has changed is my why or my micro why for this behavior. And that is that I have a very compelling and motivating reason to do this. After 
doing my research on dopamine and doing my training and breath work, I realized that there was incredible benefits of being in cold water. And no doubt you've seen everybody jumping into ice baths and kind of this big trend of of freezing cold water. But I've discovered that immersing myself in cold water and deep breathing, I was releasing dopamine, which is, as you know, this pleasure hormone, this feel-good hormone. And I discovered that by getting into this cold water, it's potentially increasing my dopamine by 250%, which is incredibly motivating. And, you know, because one of my values is around health and well-being, and I want to feel really good, and I want to have this dopamine high, I feel inspired to do this. So, it is increasing my pleasure, it improves my motivation, and this is a real reason that I can do this hard thing that feels incredibly uncomfortable. But I will say as well is that the more that I do this uncomfortable thing of getting in cold water, the more comfortable it becomes and the easier it becomes. So I'm kind of overcoming that initial pain (laughs) that I was avoiding and going into a different place. So another thing with regards to avoiding pain is that we need to train the brain that to be comfortable with discomfort. So it's actually a practice, you know, this old kind of masculine saying of no pain, no gain. There is some truth in this that, you know, we want to train the brain that it's, it's going to survive when things are hard, that it's actually okay. So we also want to do practices that calm that emotional decoding center in the brain, calm that amygdala down that starts to get panicky when things are maybe uncomfortable. And this is a whole other topic, but we can do things like journaling or meditation or mindfulness. They're all shown to put us into our prefrontal cortex, which is where we want to be to shift and calm the amygdala. So the third cornerstone is this desire and this motivation of the prehistoric part of us to conserve energy and seek efficiency. So this is all about how do we save energy and this is about in prehistoric times conserving food. It was all about scarcity. There wasn't enough of anything and we didn't want to make too much effort and burn too much fuel. So it was all about being resourceful and that driver is still in us. So we actually could say that we have this part of us that is innately lazy for our own survival. And, and sometimes when we're in a place of not feeling motivated and just wanting to be on the couch. It's because that is part of our old programming to conserve energy, but this isn't going to serve us if we're wanting to step into growth or a goal or a vision or our purpose. So what we can do with the idea of conserving energy is work with it. So we can ask ourselves, how can I make this new behavior or new desired action easy how can I make things easier which is just such a great question and the brain stops and gets stuck when it feels like things are too hard motivation will go out the window when something feels too big so we want to make it as easy as possible to bring in this new behavior so habit stacking can be a great way to do that so adding on a new behavior to something you're already doing. Maybe while the kettle boils, you do your squats or (laughs) you do something that, you know, a, a little other micro exercise that 
takes a few minutes and stack it on top of a behavior that you're already doing. And that way it feels very easy to do it. We can prime the behavior. This is, we, we, we set up an environment that is conducive to that new behavior happening. So that is maybe you put your gym clothes out the night before. So when you wake up, it's one less decision, or you have a meeting with yourself scheduled in your diary to get a certain task done. So you know what's going to happen next. And we take the decision-making out of it. Really, it's about how do we break big, huge goals down into tiny little parts. One reason that we don't feel motivated for things is because they feel so big and overwhelming. Like, how do I run a marathon? How do I start a business? Or how do I you know, write a dissertation? We want to break it into the tiniest little pieces and start taking consistent action on those. And that's very, very motivating for our brain because it feels like, it can do that. It's it's not too much energy to do that. So we want to create these little micro motivation opportunities. And even just how you set up your work day, breaking your day into tiny little work intervals, maybe 25 minute intervals, like a Pomodoro method, and then taking a break, that can be a really good and motivating way to move through things. So there's so many different ways that we can look at at making things easier or breaking them down into parts, but just remembering the brain gets easily overwhelmed. So the more that you can chunk things down and make them tiny little practices, just even if you're trying to bring in exercising, just start with saying you will do a five minute walk, (laughs) commit to tiny. You know, if you look at all the the habit setting books, they're all using the word tiny habits or atomic habits. It's about how do you start in a really small way that feels manageable for your brain. And then when you achieve that little thing, like a five minute walk or 10 minutes at the gym or whatever that thing is, then you actually tap into dopamine because you complete the task and that feels really good. It's a reward and you tick it off and then you're creating a new habit loop and you're creating a new dopamine cycle of reward and motivation. So start tiny is definitely one way to feel more motivated. So just to recap on what we've talked about today, we talked about how do we redirect dopamine from that and from that kind of short-term hit into more of a long-term sustainable form. I shared my story about James. We looked at how do we override some of the programs that we have from our prehistoric brain that are still there trying to keep ourselves safe. We looked at how we seek pleasure and to you know work with that and override it. We can look at how we bring in more long-term happiness, this intrinsic happiness, rather than just these short-term hits. How do we get clear on the cost of our guilty pleasure when we understand the cost it can be very motivating we use rewards to increase our dopamine and feel motivation rewarding the good behaviors we find ways to release dopamine in a healthy way those swims or laughing or ticking things off or goals creating the the inspiring goals and visions that motivate us when it comes to overriding that desire to avoid pain we really want to know our bigger why We want to train the brain to be comfortable with discomfort. We want to train the brain to feel calm and especially that amygdala to feel safe and be in our prefrontal cortex. Also, one thing I didn't mention is, you know, using accountability and using others to do hard things with you can really help and be motivating, can co-regulate our nervous system as well so that we feel safer to do hard things. 
And the last cornerstone that I mentioned was the desire to conserve energy. And this was asking yourself, how can I make it easy? Can I habit stack? Can I prime a behavior? Can I break it into tiny parts? And can I work in intervals that might create micro motivational opportunities? So to close out, I want you to really ask yourself, what is a new behavior or something that you've been wanting to get motivation on? And how could you do more of this? How can you set yourself up to increase your dopamine and your motivation? What action can you take off the back of this podcast? So if you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with others. Take a screenshot on your phone and post it on Insta. Tag me in it. I would love to see if you've heard it or just send it to somebody who might need to hear it today. And don't forget to make sure you're on my mailing list. Jump onto my website, simomdenny.me. And that way you can keep up to date with all of my updates. Thank you so much for being here. And I hope that you have a very motivated and inspiring and healthy dopamine releasing day ahead. Take care.